two weeks ago, we began a series of lessons on the church. We talked about the church determined. This morning, we're going to talk about the church described by Christ. And I'm going to ask that you keep your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 13. But I want to begin, first of all, by discussing how do you envision or see in your mind's eye the Lord's church? I'm fearful many times that what we do is we look at the outward perspective and we look only at the things which we see in our eyes. It reminds me very much of what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. Samuel had been sent by God to anoint a new king over Israel. And he told him to go to the house of the sons of Jesse. And as Samuel was going and looking, Samuel had thought, perhaps this is the one. But God tells him, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Too often in our appraisals, we look at churches that are large. We look at churches that are outwardly appearing to be active. And we think in our minds, that's the great church. That may not be the Lord's appraisal. We also sometimes look at things like Job did. We look and we think... God doesn't see the way we see. God looks and sees from his divine perspective, but for those of us who are here on earth, we seem to think our view is the prevailing one. Job said in chapter 10 and verse 4, Do you have eyes of flesh? Or do you see as man sees? You see, sometimes we look and think, well, if God only knew how things were here on earth. Well, the truth is, folks, God does know how things are here on earth. He sent Jesus to be tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And I remind you that God made us. He knows our nature. He knows us intimately to the point where God knows every thought of our hearts. You see, we have to get to the point where we look at the Lord's church like God looks at it. The church of Christ is exactly what God wanted it to be. And what he wants us to do is to read and study his word so that we understand that. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 beginning with verse 8, to me who am less than the least of all saints was this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You see, he's going to let men see what that church looks like. You drop down to verse 10. To the intent now to the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
You see, what we did, we planned a series of six lessons. The church determined that's the one the prophets saw. God had a plan, and he was going to bring that, and he showed that throughout the Old Testament. This lesson this morning is going to be the church described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. Lord willing, next week we'll talk about the church described by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. Then we'll talk about the church declared, how that the gospel was preached, and what kind of things was taught for people to be a part of that church. Then the church's design. How did God want his church to look? How would it be organized? And finally, the church delivered. Now this morning, we're going to look at seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. There are actually eight parables, but seven of them relate to the kingdom. And as Brother Ethan read just a few moments ago, our Lord left out of the house, went down by the seashore. He began to teach a multitude of people there. And the multitudes gathered to such a large crowd that the Lord even had to get out in a boat and sit down and there he taught the people while they sat on the shore side. Well, what we're going to do is look at these eight that are given. To begin with, you've got to ask the question, though, why did the Lord even use parables? Why didn't the Lord simply say, this is what my church is going to look like. These are what my people are going to look like. Well, I think he did. He just used illustrations. But notice with me, verses 11 through 17. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to whoever who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For hearts of this people is grown dull. Their ears they have are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should hear, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and I should turn, and that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. If you will for just a moment notice with me three things that the Lord brings out of this. He talks about seeing, he talks about hearing, and he talks about the heart. And I'd suggest to you those are the things that are going to be a part of at least the first parable and I believe many of the others as well. The purpose the Lord had was to conceal and reveal. Sometimes if you want to keep something from someone else, you use an inside joke. That is, you use something that you know and they know, but the others don't. Have you ever been in a crowd of people when somebody mentions a word and everybody laughs and you don't? That's because 
You don't know the inside. And God here is going to reveal to the holy people, to the righteous people, to the apostles what he wants them to know. And to the rest, he's going to conceal it. In fact, if you're going to read through this text, you'll observe that the Lord delivers this parable to the multitudes, but it's only when he gets with the disciples that he begins to explain all of the details when he goes back into the house with them. And it relates to the mysteries of the kingdom. How God is going to show what the church is going to be, what it's going to look like so they can recognize it. And he'll describe various aspects of the church. And when the Lord gets to the end, if you'll notice with me, verse 51, Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. It's my goal that after we study Matthew chapter 13, someone says to you, Do you understand? Do you see the church like Jesus saw it? Yes, Lord. We understand. Let's look at the parable of the sower. Open your Bibles with me now to verses 18 through 23. Matthew 13, 18 through 23. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives the seed among the thorn is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit, produces some a hundredfold, some sixty and some 30. I want you to observe again before we actually begin to look at this how the Lord uses the word sees, hears, understands and he talks about the heart of man. You see in this passage the Lord in verses 3 through 9 had already spoken the parable. It is only here that the Lord begins to interpret the parable so we understand what it means. When you look at the parallel found in Luke chapter 8, he tells us, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. I now know all of the details of what the Lord was talking about. What he is describing is when the kingdom comes, when the church arrives and the gospel is preached, the word of God is preached, there are going to be four different types of reception to it. Let's look at them very briefly. For the purpose of this lesson, we're only trying to see the big picture. 
in the context in which the Lord had talked about. Those people to whom he was trying to conceal things are those who were able to see and hear, but they didn't understand. He described them as like wayside soil. Now, it's the spring of the year. Many of you are planting things. And as you plant, you recognize there are certain areas where you'll be able to plant and the seed will do well. But if you're putting grass seed in your yard, I'm sure some of you may will get on some on your driveway. And as you do, you'll notice rather than that seed germinating and coming up, there'll be birds flying and just pick that seed up and that seed didn't do any good at all. You have to realize that the wayside soil is packed down. The word cannot penetrate, just like that seed doesn't penetrate soil. We have to realize that as we preach God's word, there's going to be some people, because they're so hard, will never accept it. I know there's some people who have a utopian view of what they want the Lord's church to look like. We want to be able to go into a city and we want to be able to preach the gospel and have large crowds of people receive it. But the truth is, there's some who will never receive it. Not because of the lack of the power of the Word of God, but because their hearts are so hard. How many of you getting ready for the meeting, went to some people and you knocked on their door and you said to them, we'd love for you to come to our gospel meeting. And they're saying, we're not interested, we're not religious people. And yet you try as hard as you can, you are as friendly to them as you can be, they still won't listen. You see, that's exactly the way Jesus saw the coming of the kingdom. But the Lord also saw a second group Stony soil. That ground was filled with rocks and stone. And it's the kind that he says receives the word with joy. And then immediately when the persecution arises, they fall away. Now let me ask you, in reality, how many of you can look around this auditorium and you remember people who were baptized in this baptistry behind me, people who became New Testament Christians, came up out of that baptistry, were just as enthusiastic and you were smiling because you thought they're going to be Christians the rest of their life, devout Christians, and now you look around and they're not here. Things became sort of difficult for them. They faced the facts of life. And many of them gave up and gave in. This morning I tried to think about some of those folks. And I come up with about a dozen that I know of that were baptized. And when tough times came, they quit. That's reality. That's what the Lord saw. There's some people who don't have any depth to them. Then the Lord looked at a third group, and that was in thorny ground. All of us know what weeds are, and we know how thorns can come up, and you can go out and you can have a really nice garden, and if you quit weeding it pretty soon, the weeds take over, and your plant that you wanted to grow is not growing. But the Lord talked about the people 
who because of the cares of this world and the pleasures and the riches are choked out. Now let me tell you another reality of the Lord's church. The Lord pictures here people who have things that in themselves are not necessarily bad, but they get too many things going on in their life, and the Lord ends up taking second place, third place, last place. You see, there's a lot of people who if there's anything else that comes along, they'll do that first, and then if they don't have anything else to do, then they'll go to church, they'll do the Lord's will, You see, the Lord's trying to picture reality in the church. But then there's the fourth group. That's the good ground. It receives the word and then produces fruit. I'm convinced that's the majority of this audience. You've been Christians for quite some time. You have shown through your lives that you intend to live your Christianity You intend to be loyal to God not only this year, but years following until the Lord returns, until you depart from this world. The Lord said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. But now if you'll notice with me, verses 24 through 30, and then we'll drop to the interpretation in verses 36 through 43. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in this field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. Then servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now dropping down to verse 36, Jesus is going to interpret this after the disciples asked. Then Jesus said, sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, 
in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. Now I think it's wonderful that the Lord brought his apostles in and explained to them how to interpret parables. When you have a parable, you have two things that you put side by side and each of them has a meaning and the Lord here identifies the various things. And the first things he, he identifies is that the sea here, the field, is the world. A lot of people look at this passage and they go and they say, well, it's talking about you never practice church discipline. They'll say that you have to never judge someone else's actions in the Lord's church. In fact, one of the most misused passages in the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. Many people believe that you cannot look at another person's actions and say, that's wrong. But the Lord here says, the field is the world. And the picture he gives here is a world that is filled with seed, some sown by the Son of Man, Jesus, the good seed that produces Christians, that is, sons of the kingdom, and others that are sown by the devil, bad seed, which produce sons of the wicked one. What that means is you and I live in a world filled with good people and bad people. But you have to understand the seed that the Son of Man sows is good seed. But the devil comes along and he sows tares. Now, for those of us today, tares doesn't really have meaning. But what the Lord is describing is a type of plant that's called bearded darnel. And when it starts arising out of the ground, it looks identical to wheat. It's only when it begins to mature that you can obviously see the difference between real wheat and this fake wheat, which does not produce a good crop. And what you have to realize is that in this world, the devil is sowing seed. And to many people, it looks like a good crop. It looks like a world in which everything is going to be good. I suggest to you that all these religious groups that are preaching all their doctrines that do not come from God are doing the work of the devil. They're the tares. And what the Lord wants us to do is to point out that at the end of time, He's going to come and He will separate the good from the bad. And there will be people who are a part of the tares that are going to say, well, we look like wheat. And the Lord is going to say, I never knew you. But I do want to hasten to point out that the Lord talks about the reapers. And he talks about those who cause offense and practice lawlessness, that he will gather them out of his kingdom. 
Not only will there be a division between the wheat and the tares, the good and the bad, but there will be those who are a part of the Lord's kingdom that will also be taken out and they too will be burned in the furnace of fire. Let's take one more. Let's go to verses 31 and 32, the parable of the mustard seed. I guess you have observed that we will not cover all seven in this lesson. I had hoped that I would be able to, but I'm just not going to be able to. Let's take verses 31 and 32. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed the least of all the seeds, But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds come and nest in its branches. Now, for us, the thought of sowing mustard seed really doesn't ring as something we would think about. Now, some of you may be thinking of mustard greens, but that's not this plant. Mustard seed is a plant which was planted for a spice. I've shown some of you some pods that I pulled off of a mustard seed tree in Israel. And as you bring those pods back and you break them open, there's really, really, really small seeds in them. And what they would do is take those pods and grind them up and make a spice out of them, much like we use pepper. And these people would use this, and so it's a common plant. But as it was planted, it started out as something incredibly small, about the size of a flake of pepper. But that small seed grows into a large tree. In fact, the one that I pulled it off of was probably 10 to 12 feet tall. And what the Lord is trying to do is to explain that His kingdom is something that was going to start very, very small but become incredibly large. And you think about what was going to take place. Jesus had begun to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when you think about those people with whom the Lord started, He started with 12 men. When you go to Acts chapter 2, there's 120 gathered in the upper room. And yet, on that first Lord's Day in which the church was established, there were 3,000 baptized. Not only was that, pretty soon the number grew to about 5,000 men. After that, it grew even larger to multitudes, both men and women, And today, I don't know how many people are in the Lord's church, but God does. It grew, and that represents the growth of the Lord's church. You know, two weeks ago, we talked about the church that the prophets saw. You go back to Daniel chapter 2, and I want to look just particularly at verses 34 and 35 and make an observation. Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed of this great image and the picture that Daniel gives him as that he describes it 
He says there's a stone here. Look at verse 34. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like the chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. It's almost like you have a little pebble, you have a stone here, and it strikes that image on the foot. That image then falls, but what happens to that stone? He said it grows to the point where the stone becomes a mountain. Then no longer a mountain, now it fills the whole earth. He's talking about the church. Started so small. You see, the Lord envisioned. He had in his mind not just a small group of people following along with him, but something that was going to grow, something that was going to be successful, something that would dominate, if you will, the whole world. You see, our idea sometimes of the Lord's church is a building. Sometimes our idea of the Lord's church is even a small group of people. Sometimes our ideas are too small for what is revealed in Scripture. And that is a picture of a great body of God's people. One that would grow, that would flourish, and would do well. Now as we prepare to extend the Lord's invitation, I want to return to the parable of the soils for just a moment. What about your heart? Your own heart. Will you receive the word of God this morning, hear it, see it, understand it, and obey it? If you want to become a part of that great body, you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized. Everything is ready for you this morning. You just need to make the decision yourself that that's what I'm going to do. If you are a child of God and yet you have let the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life consume you and absorb you to the point where God has not been the focus of your faith, you need to be restored. Would you come while we stand and sing?